Hello, a warm welcome to everyone joining us. It's great to have you participate today. We have two presenters who will be giving you a refresher overview and demonstration of the updated pedestrian facility selection tool. I'm the moderator for this session. My name is Elise. I'm here to provide any technical support if you have any issues. Please contact me through your chat box that you can see in your sidebar if you need to contact me. This webinar is proudly brought to you by Austroads. Austroads is the peak organisation of Australasian road transport and traffic agencies. We support our member organisations, those who sit here to deliver an improved road transport network. At Austroads, we use a program management approach where each program focuses on an operational area of the road system. This Austroads project falls under the network program. In terms of housekeeping, our presenters will speak for approximately 35 minutes altogether. We then have a Q&A at the end for 15 minutes. We do record all of our webinars and we'll email you once the recording is uploaded on our website. You could also download the presentation slides that we're using from the handout section in your sidebar. We like to engage with our audience as much as possible in these sessions and encourage you to submit any questions or comments that you have. If you have any questions for our presenters, simply type them into the questions box at any stage of the webinar. We'll then answer them during the Q&A. This session has step-by-step -step snapshots on the slides. So to help us answer your questions as best as we can, please let us know the slide number your question relates to. The pedestrian facility selection tool is designed to help Australian and New Zealand practitioners select the most appropriate type of pedestrian crossing based on walkability safety and economic outcomes. The tool was a finalist in the 2016 Golden Foot Awards Best Walking Initiative category and received an Association of Consulting Engineers New Zealand Merit Award in 2016. The tool was updated in April this year with the most recently available economic values and new functionalities. We encourage you to download the latest user guide release from the handout section in your sidebar or through the link shown. You could also access the tool through this link. So it's now time to introduce our two presenters who are joining us remotely from a company, Abley, in New Zealand. Firstly, we have Dr. Stacey Randall, who is the Principal Developer and Research Specialist and is experienced in programming for data analysis, web development, GIS, road safety, active modes, and modeling. Hi, Stacey, it's great to have you join us. How are you? Good, thanks, how are you? I'm good, thank you. We also have Dave Smith, who has presented a number of webinars for Osteros. He's an associate with over 18 years experience in the fields of transportation planning, with in-depth experience of project management, along with technical skills, including data analysis techniques and transport modeling. Hi, Dave, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks, Solis. Thanks for the introduction. Here we have the agenda for the session, and it's my pleasure to hand the webinar over to Dave. Great, thanks, Liz. This webinar is discussing version two of the web tool, which includes some significant updates from previous versions. Today's webinar consists of five parts. Firstly, I will present the background to the project and introduce the research. Then I will describe how to access the tool and the research report, including outlining the kinds of facilities that can be accessed, and sorry, that can be assessed and those that can't, and presenting the models developed during the research. Stacey will summarise the changes that have been introduced as part of the version two updates. Then I will describe the layout and usability features incorporated into the tool, which includes things such as accessing support and printing. And Stacey will then present a fully worked example. 
Together, these parts of the webinar will take approximately 30 minutes. Following that, we will answer your questions. As Liz mentioned, questions can be asked at any time during the webinar. The tool has been developed following a comprehensive research process. The purpose of the research was to develop a standardised tool that would assist practitioners in Australia and New Zealand to select the most appropriate crossing facility. The research brings together feasibility criteria and economic assessment procedures from the various jurisdictions. It also includes a comprehensive walkability-based pedestrian level of service evaluation. The research and development of the Australasian Pedestrian Facility Selection Tool sits within the Austroads Network Programme under the direction of Natalie Lockwood, the Austroads Network Programme Manager. Eliz has already introduced me as the Project Manager of the research and Stacey, who is the lead researcher and developer of the tool. The work was supported by a project steering group made up of representatives of road and traffic authorities, including all of the Australian and New Zealand jurisdictions. It was endorsed by the project steering group, as well as the Austroads Network Task Force and Austroads Board. The research has been published as Austroads Research Report 472. And there is an accompanying user guide, which Liz mentioned, which will also be presented later in this webinar. The tool has a permanent homepage at Austroads, which contains a range of information about it and useful links. Now we are going to demonstrate the tool homepage and how to access it. First, we will go to a search engine and search up Austroads Pedestrian Selection Tool. This brings up the homepage, which contains a range of information, including a link to the user guide, a sign-up form for a mailing list to receive updates about the tool, summary information about what the tool does, a list of the kind of facilities that can be analysed, an outline of the benefits of using the tool, and a description of the research report and a link to it. To continue, scroll back to the top of the page and click on Access the Tool, which takes us directly to the landing screen. This contains a quick start guide describing how to get started using the tool and a disclaimer for using the tool. After reading the disclaimer, you should check, I have read, understood and agreed with the above disclaimer if you agree with the conditions, and then proceed to tool to continue. If you do not agree with the conditions, you can return to Austroads by clicking the return to Austroads button. We will return here in a minute after we have reviewed the facilities that can be evaluated and the underlying models. The tool can be used to examine the facilities shown in this table, which include crossing aids, priority measures and combinations of both. It initially assumes a base scenario of an uncontrolled facility with no crossing aids. However, the recent updates allow any of these facilities to be specified as the existing facility. Note that the tool is not designed for and should not be used to evaluate school crossings. This diagram illustrates the model structure. It takes a range of inputs and parameters through a number of steps to produce the final outcomes, which I will now cover in detail. There are a number of input variables that must all be entered. The model parameters and crash reduction factors have default values which can be edited. This information is used to evaluate which facilities are feasible for the site. Details regarding the planned facilities and their construction costs must then be entered to continue. A range of models are then used to calculate indicators for the selected facilities. It then uses this information to evaluate each facility, calculating the pedestrian level of service and economic outputs for each. I'm now going to hand over to my colleague Stacey, who will summarise the recent updates. Thanks, Dave. 
We'll go into more detail about these updates as we progress through the webinar. But in summary, the version two update improved the appearance of the tool, enhanced the save and load functionality, added the ability to incorporate maintenance costs for facilities, allows crossing upgrades to be assessed, incorporates instructions for how to assess wombat crossings when an Australian jurisdiction is selected, and summarizes the reasons why various facilities are determined not to be feasible, added help tips and quick start information regarding limitations on the number of lanes that can be assessed, added the ability to assess locations where there are existing medians, improved the calculation of pedestrian delays at zebra crossings, Formerly a five second confirmation delay was assumed, but this has been updated using recent research to be a function of vehicle flows. Added a printable site information collection form and improved the user support system. Just a quick reminder that you can ask questions throughout the webinar. I will now pass back to Dave to introduce the layout and usability features. Great, thanks Stacey. We are now looking at the landing page again. From here we agree with the disclaimer and click the proceed to tool button to continue. This is the main page. First we will show you the available help mechanisms and how to print the page. The bar at the top of the page contains helpful information and links. This bar will remain fixed at the top when scrolling around the page. The help tips for an input can be viewed by hovering the mouse cursor, that's hovering not clicking, over any of the help tip icons. You can see that if we hover over the help tip for mid-block or intersection, the tool brings up helpful information about that input. The quick start guide can be displayed as a pop-up at any time by clicking the quick start guide link. This brings the guide up in a new window and can be closed again by clicking the button at the top right or the close button at the bottom. There is a user guide link on the page and also in the quick start guide. This will open the user guide PDF in a new browser tab. Support is available through the request help or report a problem link. The preferred method of seeking support is through this contact form as it can include diagnostic information. However, an email address is also available. The best way to print this page is to use the print page link at the top as this will optimise the page for printing. The page should be set to landscape orientation for best results. One of the version 2 changes is a printable site information collection form which is accessed through the top bar link. This form is designed to be taken out on site and acts like a checklist for you to gather tool inputs. The tool also allows you to save your inputs for sharing or reloading at a later time. The values, parameters and configurations are saved as a CSV file and can be stored on your computer or emailed to someone else. We will demonstrate the save and load functionality later during the worked example. I will now describe some of the usability features using the example shown in the user guide. Each section of the tool corresponds to a section of the model diagram that we looked at previously. All site information and input variables are required to perform the full analysis. The tool has a site layout diagram shown on the right, which is purely for informational purposes. The diagram shows whether the, the site is at a mid-block or intersection location, as well as the number of lanes in each direction, if there is a median and the presence of parking or a shoulder, if any. If we change any of these values, for example, the location to mid-block, the diagram updates accordingly. We will now change back to intersection for the remainder of this example. 
Below the model diagram are a few intermediate outputs displayed to assist the user. These include the total crossing distance, including median, where the pedestrian is exposed to traffic, the estimated time exposed to traffic when a pedestrian is crossing at this location, not including delays. Note that this accounts for a few things, the crossing distance, walking speeds of different types of pedestrians and the proportion of different types of pedestrians that are surveyed or expected to be using the site. It also includes total peak hourly vehicle flow. Pedestrian safety performance can be evaluated using either crash models or history. Models should be used if crash history is unavailable or if it is suspected that pedestrian crashes at the site are atypical. When crashes are modelled, there are no other inputs required. However, if history is selected, the period of the history and the number of injury crashes are required. We will reset the value to model to continue. Model parameters can be reviewed at any time by clicking the Show Hide button. The parameters all have default values which can vary depending on the jurisdiction under analysis. The economic assessment parameters apply the guidelines of the relevant jurisdiction. If New Zealand is the selected jurisdiction, the Transport Agency Economic Evaluation Manual informs these parameters. However, if an Australian jurisdiction is selected, the parameters are taken from the Australian Transport Assessment and Planning Guidelines. Note that the economic update factors currently only apply in New Zealand, where the New Zealand Transport Agency publishes cost update factors on an annual basis. All model parameters and economic values were reviewed and updated where appropriate in July 2017, and will continue to be updated annually for the foreseeable future to ensure that these values are up to date. We now hide the parameters by clicking the Show Hide button again. The tool now also allows us to specify the existing facility at the site, which is used in the following calculations. The existing facility can be selected from a drop-down list where no facility is generally the default. The model uses all of the above inputs to determine which facilities are feasible for the site. The process used to determine the feasibility is described in a series of decision trees which are included in the report. We've made this section of the report accessible via a link beside the Calculate Feasibility button. This opens a PDF showing the feasible facility process and that's in a new tab. The document also shows some general information for all facilities and the decision tree for each major facility type. Returning back to the tool now, we will click the Calculate Feasibility button to continue. This presents the Feasible Facilities table, which lists all suitable facilities for the location. You'll notice that some of the rows are greyed out, and these correspond to facilities that are not feasible at that site, as stated by the value in the Suitable for Site column. The tool now also summarises the reasons why each facility is determined not to be feasible for a site. For example, a zebra crossing is not allowed at this location because it is an intersection. Also, facilities which are combinations of other facilities require that both the parent facilities are feasible. The existing facility is shown with a green asterisk. Information for the existing facility must be entered, even if it is not feasible. If any of the inputs to the feasibility calculation are changed, the table is hidden. For example, if we scroll up and change the approach speed from 55 up to 60 kilometres per hour, the tool hides the table and displays a warning message describing why it has disappeared. If we click the Calculate Feasibility button again, 
the tool will recalculate and show the table. If an input is missing, an error will be shown when we try to calculate it. For example, if we scroll up to the crossing distance in the first direction and delete the value, the tool immediately hides the feasible facilities table as the input is changed, and it also colours the missing input in red. If we click the Calculate feasible button, Feasibility button again without a value entered, the tool will bring up a warning and scroll to the missing input. After dismissing the warning, we will put the value of 4.7 metres back in and the red background will be removed. Clicking the Calculate Feasibility button again will bring up the Feasible Facilities table once more. The parameters for all facilities to be analysed must be entered into this table. However, the tool lets you skip this for facilities that might be feasible but which you do not wish to evaluate. To indicate that you do not wish to evaluate a particular facility, use the checkboxes in the Show and Final Output column on the right. If this is unchecked for a facility, you do not need to enter its details and it will not be shown in the assessment output. The Select All, None or Feasible toggle at the top allows you to toggle the selection. If we click it twice, we will have no facilities selected. For this simple example, we only want to test curb extensions with Median Refuge, so we will tick its checkbox. Curb extensions alone is our existing facility, so it will be shown whether we tick it or not. Additionally, it is possible to list facilities that are not feasible in the output. This can be done by ticking the checkbox for the desired row. The tool will now not calculate anything about these facilities, so no parameters are required. For example, we may want to show in the final output that a platform is not feasible for the site, so we can check its tick box. Now that we have finished adding information to the feasible facilities table, we can run the calculations. This is done by clicking the Calculate Assessment button. The tool now displays the output table. This table consists of two parts. Firstly, indicators for the site, which include suitability, pedestrian and vehicle delays, predicted crash rate, and crossing, approach, and safe intersection site distances. And secondly, the outputs for the site, including the pedestrian level of service delay and safety components, as well as an overall level of service measure, which is a weighted combination of delay and safety components. And economic outputs, including costs and savings associated with the facility compared to the base scenario, then total benefits of the facility compared to the base scenario, and finally the overall benefit cost ratio. Note that the platform which was not feasible for the site is shown greyed out and no information is calculated for it. The tool also includes an extra option just below the Calculate Feasibility button to automatically run all calculations when any inputs are updated. Just note that this option should not be checked if making significant changes, for example, moving from a mid-block location to an intersection, as it can cause a lot of error pop-ups to be shown. The tool also has an area where notes can be entered, which will be included when the page is printed or saved. Please remember to keep your questions coming throughout the webinar. We will look forward to answering them at the end. Now I'm going to hand back to Stacey and he'll take us through a worked example. Thanks Dave. For context, this particular crossing is on a two-lane road that experiences high peak hour vehicle flows. There is an existing flush or painted median and parking on both sides. 
The location is more than 50 metres from an intersection, so it is classed as a mid-block crossing. Nearby are two pedestrian generators, a school and a bus stop. Now we will switch back to the main page that we were working on a minute ago. At the top of the page, we can click Reset All to clear the state and inputs and set parameters to their default values. Now we will work through the tool and enter the inputs for this location. The project name in this case is Webinar Worked Example. The project location describes where the site is, say 4th Avenue, southeast of 2nd Street. To keep track of revisions, an assessment number can be entered, in this case, revision one. And the date of the analysis should be entered, typically today's date. Note that the tool will attempt to create a reasonable file name based on your project detail inputs, um, but this can be edited. The location used in this example is Victoria. Selecting the location allows the tool to populate the model parameters, including the economic variables with the appropriate defaults. If you change the jurisdiction, you'll see a warning that your change will overwrite all model parameters. It is important to note this warning if you have modified any of the default parameters, as these will be lost. If you have selected an Australian jurisdiction, the tool also shows an informational alert describing how to assess wombat crossings. This is one of the version 2 updates. The crossing we are assessing is a mid-block crossing, and there are two traffic directions at the site. The recent updates include specifying the type of existing median. This site currently has a painted median, and the width of the median is 2 metres. So that locations with existing medians can be assessed more easily, users are asked if pedestrians are currently using the existing median as a refuge, even if it is unsafe to do so. On-site observations should be used to inform this selection with consideration for sensitive users, particularly if the site has a raised median. The answer affects how the existing facility is assessed and can change the feasibility of some facilities. If the existing facility is a formal refuge, then the existing facility drop-down should be used because it will actually account for safety. In this case, the painted median is being used as a refuge. There is parking on both sides of the road, so we select yes. The pedestrian visibility at the site is 200 metres. This is the worst value measured in either direction. This input only affects the pedestrian level of service calculation um, and shown in the outputs. Flow direction is only used for the layout diagram, in this case left to right in the first direction. There is one lane and the crossing distance is four and a half metres. The flow in the second direction is already determined as opposite to the first direction, so we can't edit it. The second direction also has only one lane of traffic and the crossing distance is 4.4 metres. Once again, our total crossing distance is calculated automatically and it is shown below the layout diagram equal to 8.9 metres. Moving on to operational variables. The road has a speed limit of 60 kilometres an hour, but traffic surveys show the 85th percentile approach speed is 65 kilometres an hour. The recorded daily traffic volume is 17,500 vehicles per day, 
Surveys indicate that approximately 12 sensitive pedestrians per hour cross during peak times. Sensitive pedestrians include elderly, vision or mobility impaired pedestrians and pedestrians under 12 years old. There are also 20 non-sensitive pedestrians crossing per hour. Now that we have a proportion of sensitive and non-sensitive pedestrians, the time which crossing pedestrians are exposed to traffic is estimated. 157 pedestrians cross at this site per day. The average vehicle occupancy at the location has been surveyed at 1.2 persons per vehicle. The flow type in both directions is interrupted as there are gaps that pedestrians can use to cross. Uninterrupted flow would mean that there is a constant flow of vehicles and few gaps in the traffic. The surveyed peak vehicle volumes are 712 vehicles in the first direction and 918 in the second. These values represent the peak hourly flows at the worst peak for the site. In this case, that's the PM peak. The total peak hourly vehicle flow is also calculated and displayed below the layout diagram. In terms of the crash information, at this location it is suspected that a perceived safety risk is suppressing the pedestrian demand, meaning that the crash history may not be accurately representing the pedestrian crash risk. So we will use crash models to estimate the safety performance of the site. We will now check the model parameters for the site by clicking on the show hide button. The tool has filled in all the values according to the assessment guidelines for the jurisdiction under analysis. The version two updates include the ability to select the existing facility. If we had a formal refuge, we might select that here, but we don't, so our existing facility is no facility. Now that we have entered all the inputs, we'll click the Calculate Feasibility button, which shows the feasible facilities table, and we can review the outputs and consider which types of crossing facility we wish to analyze. Our existing facility is shown with a green asterisk, and we must enter its parameters even if it's not feasible. As Dave mentioned, reasons why various facilities are determined not to be feasible are presented. Some of these facilities are not feasible because we have a median, but no formal refuge at the site. In this case, we are only interested in evaluating physical aids. So we will uncheck entries for show and final output column on the right to hide. We're gonna hide signals, signals with curb extensions and grade separation. Then we will enter the inputs for the suitable facilities that we do wish to analyze. For the formal median refuge, the crossing distance is 4.1 meters in the first direction. The refuge width is 2.9 meters and the crossing distance is four meters in the second direction. Construction cost is $31,000 and note the new input, annual maintenance cost of $3,000. Now for the curb extensions and median refuge, the crossing distance is 3.8 meters in the first direction with a refuge width of 2.8 meters and 3.9 meters crossing in the second direction. The construction cost is $47,000 and the maintenance cost is $4,000. We will leave the other non-feasible facilities shown as such in our final output. Now that we have entered all the inputs, we will click the Calculate Assessment button. This shows us the facility assessment tables. 
the outputs show us that the site had an initial pedestrian delay of 11 seconds. This would be much higher if the pedestrians were not using the existing painted medium to cross. We have slightly lower delays at the proposed facilities as the crossing distances are reduced. As none of the facilities slow or delay vehicles, the vehicle delays all equal zero. Unlike delays, the tested facilities significantly reduce the expected crash rates because existing painted median does not contribute to the safety. And the crossing site distances required are slightly lower. Scrolling down, we see the pedestrian level of service outputs show improved pedestrian outcomes at the formal facilities, with median refuge and curb extensions and median refuge performing similarly. The delays shown in the indicator section are converted to costs and then shown as a saving compared to the base scenario, as are the crash costs, which correspond to improved safety outcomes. Total benefits for each tested facility are calculated by summing the savings and subtracting vehicle delays, which are then divided by the construction cost to produce a benefit cost ratio. In this case, the median refuge alone has the highest BCR. This is despite it having a lower total benefit than curb extensions with median refuge because its construction cost is much lower than the difference in benefit. Let's do some quick scenario testing with some of the version two features. For example, if we had instead observed that the existing painted medium was not being used as a refuge, or we were scenario testing maybe to see the differences um, given that it should not be used as a refuge for the large proportion of sensitive users, we now see much worse delays and level of service outcomes for no facility and as a result, much better BCRs for our proposed facilities. We could also test hypothetically, what would happen if the existing facility was a median refuge? We see that median refuge gains a green asterisk in the feasible facilities table, and we have to enter costs for no facility. In this case, the construction cost is effectively a cost to remove that existing facility. Median refuge now appears at the top of the facility assessment table and our outputs are shown relative to it. In this case, it is still the best option. To save all inputs, we scroll back up to the top of the page, change the file name if required, and click save. A confirmation message is displayed showing the file name and confirming that the file has been saved to the browser's default download location. Note that for security reasons, the web tool cannot change this location. To clear the inputs, we will click the reset all button, which clears every input and sets all the parameters to default. To load an input file, such as the file we just saved, in this case, we first click the choose file button, selecting the appropriate CSV file, and then click the load button to actually read the file. Note that you may see some warnings if you are loading files that were saved by older tool versions, and you'll need to carefully check your input values in this case. But because our file was saved from the same version, we have no warnings. And as you can see, all the data is being loaded. 
And since version two, this now includes which parts of the tool were visible when it was saved. Thank you, everyone. That uh, include, concludes the worked example. Please remember to keep your questions coming in. We'll now hand back to Eliz. Yeah, thank you, Stacey and Dave, for presenting. We've received some really good questions from the audience, which we'll go through now. And the first question we received is from Daniel. So he's asked, is there any further updates that will consider smart pedestrian crossings in the tool? Um, thanks for your question, Daniel. Um, not at this stage. Um, now, having said that, um, with this particular um, tool, we've been um, lucky enough to be able to continue to uh, develop it as there are um, you know, changing requirements from practitioners. Um, so uh, that suggestion, is, as well as any others that may come in over the course of this uh, webinar Q&A session, um, we'll, we'll gladly um, consider them and discuss them with Ostroads. So thank you for that. Thanks for clarifying. Another question, we've received some questions regarding the tool. So why can the tool not be used to assess school crossings? Okay, um, the, the answer to that is quite simple, and that is that um, we, we didn't go through a process of undertaking background research into school crossings and what some of the um, requirements for them may be as different to a general crossing. So that relates to um, you know, different elements such as uh, walkability and considerations around safety for children. Um, put simply, it was, it was outside of the scope of the original research which informed the development of this tool. Thanks for that one. So Lachlan's asked in relation to slide 73, so it contained pedestrian conversion factor 0.6 and vehicle conversion factor 0.4. So what are these? Conversion factors uh, translate between peak and off-peak values. Do you know more specifically about that? The, um, Okay, we'll just, just give us a moment to bring that slide up. Um, that was slide, what slide was that? Sorry, Liz? Slide, slide number 73. So the pedestrian conversion factor was 0 0.6 and the vehicle conversion factor was 0 0.4. So Lachlan asks, yeah, what are they? Um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. They do relate to um, uh, peak period um, mm. demands. Um, we'd have to probably just checking the help tips there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rather than um, answer that decisively off the top of our heads. Okay. So another question relating to facility assessment, CSD, ASD, SISD. So is this what is required to be able to install the facility? Yeah, there, so, there, so there are specific standards, so they can be um, related to um, Osteroid standards in terms of what the site distance requirements actually are. Mm, okay. Another question is, how are delay costs calculated? Are there differences between pedestrian versus vehicle delay costs and are they linear with time? They don't vary with time. Um, the main difference is that vehicles can have more than one person in them. Um, otherwise, they're given the same value of delay, and it's just you know amount of time um, that the either pedestrian or vehicle is delayed, and the value of delay. 
Thanks for clarifying that one. Gopi is asked, so how is crossing distance measured on site? Is it from curb to median line marking or edge of line to median line marking? Well, that's, um, that's a bit of a technical one. Um, I'd probably defer to um, uh, guidance on that. But um, the tool is looking for the uh, crossing distance where the pedestrian is exposed to traffic. So that is going to be a, more of a judgment call um, around, and if there's you know, things that might alter that crossing distance. Yes, yeah, so on that basis, it probably relates to the curb, the curb line. Okay, thanks for answering that one. Another question is, why is vehicle occupancy used? Okay, I think uh, Stacey addressed that just before in terms of um, looking at the uh, number of people that are in the vehicle. So the, when we look at the uh, total uh, time as part of the economic evaluation, uh, the delay to the vehicle is then multiplied by the number of people that are actually in the vehicle. Thanks for answering that one. Another question is, how is the off-road safety system assessment framework scoring incorporated into the tool? Uh, currently, it isn't. Um, that's potentially um, an important piece of work that uh, could be considered going forwards as um, you know, there's a lot of focus on safe systems at the moment. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thanks, Dave. A question from Anita. So do the peak pedestrians and peak vehicle, do they need to be the same in terms of numeric hour? Um, probably, yes, yeah, in terms of um, being able to calculate the actual delays. So there's, um, there's I'd suggest that they, they're more likely to actually coincide, uh, but the way that the tool is actually set up is to have a look at the, um, the peak demands and for pedestrian uh, crossing movements and relate the actual traffic volumes to that. Okay, thank you. I hope that's answered your question, Anita. So James has asked in relation to slide 157, so are there typical construction costs for differing types of crossing facilities? Often this information isn't known until later in the planning process. Yeah, ab absolutely agree. Um, it is it is a very difficult one to calculate. We have had some requests in previous um, years to put default costs up into the tool. Um, this is a bit of a dangerous one because the actual construction costs can vary considerably uh, from place to place, and of course they they can change very quickly over time as a result of market conditions. So. Um, my, my advice would be to basically engage somebody to be able to come up with those costs uh, for, as an input to the tool if you'd like a, um, an accurate assessment or if you require that to be able to help support a funding application. Great, thanks for answering. So Naresh has asked, how can we enter the parking and shoulder if only one side of the road has parking? So this relates to slide 155. Okay, just bringing that slide up now. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, we probably don't differentiate between that um, for each side of the road. No, it doesn't. Um, so that's that could potentially be included as an enhancement in the future. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thanks, Dave. 
So Richard's asked, so the inputs that would require site survey data, peak sensitive pedestrian volume, average vehicle occupancy, etc., would require a fair amount of costly survey. Is this level of survey required to accurately use this tool or are there cases where using defaults or approximations, are they okay? Um, I guess that comes down to the level of rigour that's actually required um, to be able to support a, um, a, a funding application which may be informed by the tool. Um, in some instances, if, if you are after a fairly high level assessment, um, then a site visit may not actually be required and there could be estimates of um, the uh, pedestrian um, demands as well as the vehicle demands. Um, however, a, a site visit will actually go some way to being able to um, undertake the analysis with a certain level of rigour behind it that may be required to support um, a funding application. Excellent. So yeah, great, great questions coming through. So is there any possibility to input pedestrian walking speed manually because the walking speed will vary from person to person? For more experienced old people, the walking speed will be less compared to teenage kids, for example. Uh, yes, there are, there are defaults in the tool, which is one metre per second for um, sensitive pedestrians, being being elderly and uh, young pedestrians, and 1.2 metres per second um, for uh, non-sensitive pedestrians. So those defaults can actually be um, altered. Um, They're so just that, under the model parameters in the tool. Yeah, and there are there are a number of other um, default values there that can also be. Um, uh, changed uh, where that's considered to be suitable, including the economic assessment um, inputs. That's great, excellent. So can the spreadsheet be run without installation and maintenance cost if cost is not being considered? I think it will um, it'll throw up an error if that's the case. So it may just be a matter of putting in uh, some default values there um, if really you're just after a uh, calculation of the delays and the benefits without a full BCR analysis. Maintenance cost can be left as zero if it's not required, but construction cost is always required um, to have a value. Okay, thanks for answering. Uh, John's asked, so some sites have a designation for over width or over dimension vehicles. This will have an effect on whether a raised median is chosen. Is this able to be included as a variable? Uh, so at this, at this stage it isn't, although um, clearly there's um, the, the ability to be able to put in what the, um, uh, the crossing distances are. Um, I'd say that would probably be um, an exception, so practitioners would have to use their judgment when they're looking at the feasible facilities to see if there are other um, factors that would actually preclude some of those options. Thanks for answering. Uh, Doug's asked, so is the BCR using the 30-year life with discount rates? Um, in Australia, yes it is. Um, in New Zealand, it's 40 years with 6%. Um, so it just follows the um, Economic Evaluation Manual in New Zealand and the ATAP guidelines in Australia. Mm, okay. Thanks for answering that one. Another question from Greg. So he's asked, so with the new program, we no longer need to look for five-hour vehicle counts. Seems operator just enters the highest vehicle count in one hour. So why the allowance for vehicle occupancy? 
Okay, so so in terms of inputs, yes, we are looking. We we have the AADT um, for the road as well as the peak hourly flow. Um, not not quite sure where the reference to the um, five hours comes from. That may come from another um, uh, tool which uh, predates this um, or another spreadsheet. Um, and in terms of the vehicle occupancy, uh, yeah, that, that purely relates to the calculation of travel time disbenefits as a result of traffic being impeded by pedestrians uh, that would be receiving priority over the traffic uh, for some of the options that can be considered. Thanks for answering that one. David's asked, is there an option to change the posted speed limit? Uh, in short, um, no, um, but you could potentially do some scenario testing um, with different speed limits uh, to see what the sensitivity actually would be. Okay. So if the current speed limit is 50Ks and you actually wanted to um, undertake an evaluation um, where 50Ks is your do minimum and then 40Ks or another speed is part of your option, uh, then you could run the analyses um, separately and then then calculate what the impact might actually be. Great. Hope that's answered your question, David. Tim's asked, has a tool been adopted by all most Australian states and all New Zealand jurisdictions? Yeah, good good question, Tim. Uh, so as part of the development of the tool, um, we had a working group uh, which supported the underlying research and the development of it. Um, which had representation from all of the uh, nine jurisdictions throughout Australia and New Zealand. Um, and recently with uh, the updates that have um, led to this new version two of the tool which we've presented today, um, we reconvened the working group so that we actually had uh, the endorsement of all nine jurisdictions um, prior to undertaking the development. So the, the answer in, in short is yes. For zebra crossings, are warrants considered, i.e. minimum cars or pedestrians? Sorry, what was the what was the question? For zebra crossings, are warrants considered, uh, for i.e. minimum cars or pedestrians? Um, no, they're not in, in this tool, no. Okay. Question from David is, in the mid-block example, can a bicycle lane be added in when traffic lanes are added, or is this added to the traffic lane width? Um, so we, we don't have any provision for cycle lanes uh, specifically um, in terms of uh, either the um, actually physically putting the cycle lane in itself and what the implications might be around uh, safety. Um, however, it can be reflected in the total crossing distance, uh, but that could be a potential area of uh, future enhancements if there is uh, some demand for that level of detail in considering uh, facilities uh, for crossing roads. Great. James asks, so can you comment on the desirability or otherwise of having speed delimiters or bumps on the approach to crossings on roads where cars ignore the speed limits? Uh, haven't really given that any consideration in this um, piece of work, um, but um, yeah, that's something which um, is, could certainly be looked at at some future stage uh, or may already be addressed in other research which has been undertaken. Thanks for clarifying. 
a question is how do we measure vehicle occupancy? Uh, the, well, the best way to measure it is to get out on site and uh, probably um, observe it. Um, alternately, uh, there may be some other data sources available from uh, road controlling authorities where they uh, regularly um, uh, observe vehicle occupancies as, as some sort of um, key performance indicator. Um, it will vary considerably though, uh, depending on your location. For example, if you're uh, adjacent to um, a, um, a workplace, then there might be quite a low occupancy. Whereas if you're adjacent to um, shopping locations or schools, then it may be considerably higher. So um, including as part of the site visit is probably the most robust way of informing that variable. Thanks for clarifying that one. Lily's asked, so how would you incorporate cyclist flows? Yeah, it's probably quite similar to the um, uh, question we had before around cycle lanes. Uh, at the moment, we, we don't have consideration of um, cycle demands uh, as part of the tool. Once again, if there's uh, quite a bit of demand out there for um, considering that for a more, a more detailed analysis and that's supported by the jurisdictions, uh, it could be a potential future enhancement. But good good question. It is becoming more relevant over time. Mm, yeah, it is. Elliot's asked, so why does the tool consider warrants for installations such as minimum pedestrian and vehicle volumes or, or proximity to other facilities? Um, the decision trees that sit within the, um, the tool itself um, are the only, um, are basically the, the main criteria for which we've decided whether particular facilities are feasible or not. And um, so they haven't been considered from a, a warrant perspective, but they have been discussed with each of the representatives on the working group from the jurisdictions to be reflective of what is uh, best practice in selecting facilities. But um, uh, considering warrants has not been uh, the, the driver behind that decision-making uh, that informs the tool. Thanks for answering. Uh, Julian's asked, so how is the visibility of vehicles towards the pedestrian waiting area, i.e. the footpath area adjacent to crossings considered? Um, sorry, could you just repeat the question, Liz? So how is the visibility of drivers towards the pedestrian waiting area, for example, the footpath area adjacent to crossings considered, so how are they considered? Um, it's, uh, it's currently not considered specifically within the tool, but um, it is something which, which should be included. So pedestrian visibility is one of the inputs, but its primary effect is on the level of service calculations how pedestrians feel um, in terms of, Carl's just bringing it up, yeah, in terms of the uh, perceived safety and pedestrian level of service that results from being able to see more. Thanks for answering. And Denise has asked, what bearing does the vehicle occupancy have on the safety of a pedestrian facility? Uh, it doesn't. It's purely used um, to be able to calculate the total um, travel time just benefit uh, for vehicles. So it captures the value of those uh, of all the occupants' time within the vehicle. 
Another question is, why are the model parameters different between different Australian states? Uh, so there were there were a couple of um, uh, points of uh, disagreement around what was best practice uh, between some of the jurisdictions. Uh, so that was an outcome of a workshop that we had uh, with the representatives of those jurisdictions. Um, the details are sitting inside the research report themselves, uh, but there's only a couple of items there, but it allows for as much flexibility as possible to be able to acknowledge um, the um, what's considered to be best practice uh, between each of the jurisdictions. Uh, but I suggest that um, have a good look at the uh, research report and uh, that will provide some clarification there around what the subtleties are. Excellent, thanks for clarifying that one. And the last question is, are the calculation algorithms on which your tool is based, are these available? Uh, the, there's plenty of detail in the research report. Um, have, have a good look there. In some cases, they refer to other formulae, such as um, Tanner's formula, which has been used to calculate some of the delays uh, for uncontrolled facilities. Um, but there should be sufficient detail in the research report, or the readers will be directed to those uh, sources. Uh, hopefully that's helpful. Excellent. So that is all the questions that were received. So thank you, Dave and Stacey, for answering them. Before we close up, I'd like to let you know of some announcements. So in terms of upcoming webinars, we have a webinar on the topic guidelines and specifications for microservicing, which is on 14th of June. We then have another webinar on the guideline for continual improvement processes for asset management, which we have recently published, and that is on 28th of June. If you know of anyone who may be interested, please let them know, and you can visit our website for more information and to register. Also, another little plug, our webinars are now available as podcasts. Simply search for Osroads on your podcast app, or you could use our RSS feed, so feel free to subscribe. And the last exciting news that I'd like to announce is that Osteros has partnered with RMS New South Wales to bid to host the World Road Congress in Sydney in 2023. So this event is an opportunity to showcase some of our groundbreaking innovation and play an active role in shaping the future of our global community. Please support Australia and New Zealand's bid and join us on the road to Sydney in 2023. You can visit the website for more information. So just a last note, a survey will pop up on your screen after the webinar and we encourage you to fill that out. Again, we thank you all for joining us. It was a very practical session and we encourage you to have a go at using the tool if you haven't already done so. And we hope you've gained some tips on using the tool. And lastly, I'd like to thank you, Dave and Stacey, for demonstrating the tool and answering questions today. Yeah, you're most welcome. Cheers. Thank you. Goodbye, all. <laughs>